Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, when I saw the news yesterday that uh, there was a raid at Mar-a-Lago and the FBI was involved and there were significant legal questions involved and significant political questions involved, I and about 850 other talk show hosts, commentators and producers all had the exact same thought, which is to call Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz is probably the most quoted law professor in the history of the United States. I don't believe that's hyperbole. I don't believe that's an exaggeration. I think that is literally true. He's a Harvard law professor emeritus. He served about 50 years on the faculty there. These days, he's the host of a very popular podcast called The Der Show. And he's the author of a new book which deals with a lot of the issues that we're going to be talking about in the course of our discussion. It's called The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. Professor Dershowitz, I know you've had a long day, and I appreciate you joining me at such a tough hour. No, I appreciate that, but I have to correct you. You talk about me being widely quoted. I've been banned by CNN, by MSNBC, by The New York Times, by Temple Emanuel in New York, the largest reformed synagogue in New York, the 92nd Street Y, the Ramaz School, the Chilmark, where I live in the summer, library, the community center in Chilmark, uh, the Jewish community center in Chilmark the, the, in, in, on Martha's Vineyard, all because I defended President Trump on the floor of, of the Senate. So, uh, sure, I, I'm quoted, but I'm only quoted now really by uh, one side of the uh, political spectrum. The, the left has banned me and canceled me. And the Jewish community has. And I tell that story in The Price of Principles. I name names. I tell the story. I explain what happened and why people are afraid to speak out today, because they're going to be treated like I am. Let me give you one little story. This is just a minor story, but um, because the library is much more important. But we have a good friend whose daughter was getting engaged, and we were invited to her engagement party on Martha's Vineyard. We got an email this morning saying, we have to disinvite you because too many people who were invited said they wouldn't show up. If they saw you, they would leave. And so they had to disinvite me uh, from a party, uh, uh, an event. The same thing happened recently with a concert. I was told I couldn't come to the concert because people would get up and leave if I did. So, you know, that's the price of principle that I'm paying. I have a thick skin. I can deal with it. But my, you know, my wife, my children, who didn't even agree with me defending President Trump, they have been smeared by this kind of Chilmark McCarthyism that is going around. And so, yeah, I do. I am quoted. 
by some people, but uh, certainly not by others. And the library has prevented people who want me to speak from 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 hearing me. And they're a public library, tax supported public mm. library. So I'm thinking of actually suing them. Well, uh, I uh, something tells me you know a good attorney if that's the case. Uh, I yeah. I um, first of all, that's just awful. And one of the reasons I was so eager to speak with you, and I think a lot of folks were eager to speak with you, is not just because of your experience and your intelligence and your legal acumen. It's because unlike so many of the other people that offer legal analysis on contemporary issues, you don't seem to do it based on an ideological lens. You kind of view the law as it is, not based on whether the target of an investigation is a Democrat or Republican. I'm wondering, why do you think that level of analysis Analysis has so has become so rare in the media these days. Well, look at CNN. They're always wrong about legal issues. All their predictions are wrong because they don't make analysis. What they do is is wishful thinking. Let me give you an example from one of the people who's on CNN a lot. Uh, he recently said he was trying hard to get his former student Merrick Garland to indict President Trump for the attempted murder of Vice President Pence. The attempted murder. This is a law professor. He couldn't get a passing grade in my class in criminal law if he wrote an exam like that. And now there are other law professors who are saying that if Trump is found guilty of uh, having uh, classified material in his possession, he won't be able to run for president. Have these people not read the Constitution? The Constitution provides four criteria for running for president. You have to be 35, born in the United States. You have to not have fought in the Civil War. And you can't have been impeached with a provision that you can't run. If you satisfy those four criteria, no legislation can overrule the Constitution. But people are so anxious to get Trump. They don't care about civil liberties. They don't care about the Constitution. It reminds me of Laurenti Beria, the former head of the KGB, who said to Stalin, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. You can find crimes against almost anybody if you search hard enough. And they are desperately searching the statute books to 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 expand statutes and try to apply them to Trump to prevent him from running. Look, I want him to run because I want to vote against him. I have a right to vote against him. I voted against him twice. I want to vote against him a third time. I am not a Trump Republican. I am a you know, Biden Democrat, but uh, I believe in fairness. What was your initial reaction when you saw the news of the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago? Well, I was not surprised. Uh, I was shocked because it's so stupid. They could have easily gotten a subpoena, and uh, a subpoena um, would have allowed the court to go through the papers and decide if any of them were classified, if they've been unclassified, if any of them are privileged. Um, But this way, everything is going to be searched by the FBI before any judge has a chance to go through it, and a lot of it will probably be excluded in violation of the Fourth Amendment. I I, I was very shocked. I had high regard for Merrick Garland. He was a student at Harvard Law School. I supported him when he was nominated Mm -hmm. for the Supreme Court. Um, But I'm very disappointed that he would have allowed a search instead of a subpoena. You know, the reason you have a search is you think somebody's going to destroy the material. President Trump was a thousand miles away playing golf uh, when this search took place. He couldn't possibly have destroyed it. And if he had, if he ever destroys evidence under a subpoena, he's guilty of a much, much more serious crime than having classified material. So that's a pretext. Uh, I think the real reason is 
the government gets a lot more out of a search. They can search for things that are not in the warrant if it's in plain view. Um, they can get documents without the Fifth Amendment being pleaded. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an attempt to circumvent the law. And I don't think it's right. You used a term which I'm sure might be common to a lot of Harvard legal scholars, but it was not common to me, and I suspect it was not common to many in the audiences. When you were talking with John Katsimatidis yesterday, you used the term production immunity. I'm wondering if you could just explain what exactly production immunity is and how that's at play here. Yeah, it's very complicated, and I was a little worried about trying to present it to a non-legal audience. The law is very obscure. If you have a document, say a piece of classified material, um, the the document itself is not privileged by the Fifth Amendment because it's already been written. But the fact that you produced it in response to a subpoena that says you must produce anything in your possession that's classified, the fact that you produced it is incriminating. And you can plead the fifth and say, no, I'm not going to produce uh, this document because the fact that I produced it will be incriminating. So the government has to give you what's called production immunity. What they say is, we'll use the document, but we won't tell the jury that you gave it to us. You know, that's how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, but that's what the law is today. So if you do a search, you don't have to worry about that because Nobody is involved. No defendant is involved. They're not handing the stuff over. They just have the document itself. It's very complicated. It's very technical. But it may be one of the reasons why they went for a search warrant rather than a subpoena in order to circumvent the Fifth Amendment. Uh, that uh, well, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, look, uh, Mar- Merrick Garland has that Harvard Law School training, so he clearly does, would be yeah. aware of that. Uh, now, a lot of people have uh, rushed to blame this on Christopher Ray. A lot of people have said the person responsible was Merrick Garland. Uh, based on your knowledge of how high-profile investigations like this go, I mean, not that we've ever seen a raid on a former president's residence before, so this is somewhat unprecedented, but who do you think would have had to approve and sign off on this manner of a raid? Would it have been Christopher Ray? Would it have been Garland? Does it go all the way up to Biden? It doesn't go to Biden. Uh, Biden has said that he was not aware of it, and I think that's right. He's tried very hard to stay out of Justice Department issues for understandable reasons, because it's obviously his son is in the crosshairs there. Um, But uh, there's no question that both Garland and Ray had to approve it. It may not have been their idea. It may have been a line assistant district attorney or the head of a criminal division or something, one of the operatives uh, in the Justice Department. But you couldn't have the search of a former president's house without the attorney general himself signing off. That's why the attorney general must, must have a press conference. It should have been two days ago. It should have been today. It should have been yesterday. But he has to do it today. He has to do it today. He has to make sure that he is answering the hardest questions asked to him by great journalists like you, who will press him very hard, or White House journalists or others. He can't just allow this to stand without a comment. Now, he's going to say, oh, the case is under investigation. I can't uh, produce the uh, search warrant or the affidavit in support of the search warrant. Nonsense. You can't. You have the right to 
or you can have a special master appointed, as has happened in some cases, a former Supreme Court justice or a former uh, high-ranking judge or a former dean of a law school or professor, um, you know, a president of a college, uh, to, to evaluate the circumstances and look at the affidavit and give us a report. Um, or you could have a congressional committee, but there are no fair congressional committees anymore. Look at what happened January 6th. The committee just became a, a Democratic campaign uh, committee. They, they want to lose their tax exemption. They're so partisan. Uh, uh, and, and, and it's, uh, you know, obviously that's a joke. Sure. Congress yeah. doesn't have a tax exemption. But if they did, if they were an organization, they would. So who is guarding the guardians is the question. And this absurd law now, and I hope that people will demand a change in, that a lawyer can't oversee a search? What if they plant material? What if they reorganize material? What does the FBI have to hide? Why won't they allow lawyers to come in with video cameras, with iPhones, take the picture of everything that's being done? We're supposed to live in a society that's transparent. Why are searches conducted outside the view of the lawyers? That's just wrong, and it has to be changed. The only good thing that's come of this is that there'll be a lot more civil libertarians now. You know, they used to tell a joke that a conservative <laughs> is a liberal who's been mugged. I always responded by saying, yeah, and a liberal is a civil libertarian is a conservative who's been searched or indicted or been audited. Uh, so it always depends on whose ox is being gored. And now that, you know, the Republican side is being victimized by a denial of civil liberties, I think there are going to be a lot more good civil libertarians on the right. Certainly you can't count on the ACLU anymore. They're dead in the water. They should have been protesting this raid. But, you know, they're, they're part of the Get Trump at all costs uh, group. And they're part of the group that suppresses free speech on college campuses, due process on college campuses and around the country. They're a full-fledged left-wing political organization rather than a civil liberties organization. Uh, the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, who's obviously a conservative and a, a Trump defender, yeah. he uh, has said repeatedly in the last 24 hours that he thinks that he doesn't put it past the FBI to perhaps do something like tamper with evidence or maybe even uh, plant evidence. You have a fake committee being covered by the fake news with a fake FBI, uh, which, by the way, you'll notice... They didn't allow anybody on the Trump side into Mar-a-Lago. So we have no idea whether or not they planted evidence. As I understand it, President Trump's attorney was present at the Mar-a-Lago raid. Do you think that that's a legitimate concern uh, for the Trump team, that the FBI actually would tamper with evidence or even plant evidence? We have histories of that. Um, I think this FBI is a good organization. I like the FBI very much. I'm friendly with some former directors and some former people. So I would hate to believe that evidence could be planted. But we know it has been. When I was in Boston, uh, the head of the FBI in Boston uh, ended up in jail for having tampered with things and having uh, given a heads up to Whitey Bulger to escape. That was the guy who was the head of the FBI right. John Connolly, in Boston. Right? Yeah, Con John yeah. Connolly and a guy named Morris. Both of them were corrupt FBI agents. You know, I had a threat on my life by some neo-Nazi a few years ago, and the FBI provided me with two guys who followed me around for several months. I loved them. They loved me, too, because I took them to Celtics games. They went <laughs> to my class. Um, but they protected me. And uh, 
So the vast, vast, vast majority of FBI agents are completely above reproach, and the vast majority of directors of the FBI. But, you know, I think the guardians have to be guarded, and we need to make sure we oversee it. You mentioned that the Trump lawyers were at Mar-a-Lago. They were there for a few minutes, but then they were kicked out, and they were allowed to see, apparently, from what I understand, they were allowed to see the search warrant, but not to take it with them. I see. I see. So, you know. I, no, I appreciate you clarifying that. Uh, Andrew McCarthy, who's a conservative legal scholar, former prosecutor, I know him well. yeah. Uh, yeah. he has been saying that he thinks that what could be involved here is an attempt to uh, find evidence somehow linking yeah. President Trump to a conspiracy involving January 6th. Megyn Kelly, right. Kelly said He's the right. same thing to our friend Arthur Idala on his radio show yesterday. I think this is disgusting and wrong and a lie. I don't think this has anything to do with stupid classified documents. Give me a break. Since when do they care about that? Ask Hillary. They don't. They are using (laughs) that as a pretext to get in there to see what they can find about January 6th. That's my belief. They've made very clear the Democrats are hell-bent on finding a way to pin that on Trump legally. Not morally, not politically, though they're related. Legally. They want him prosecuted so that he can never run again. Because he's going to win if he runs again. And that's their worst nightmare. And so I believe this whole thing was protectual so they could get in there. And I don't know why. What do they think they're going to find? The secret Trump memo in big black Sharpie saying, I knew I lost and I unleashed a fraud on America. Okay. Well, let me know if that's in the safe. You think that is possible, if not likely? I think it's very likely. And when you have a search warrant, you can search for things beyond what could be obtained Uh, by subpoena. So I think that's very likely. And again, it doesn't have to be the motive of the head of the FBI or Garland. It could be the motive of a lower-ranking FBI official or lower-ranking prosecution official. But it certainly seems likely. Nobody has ever been searched for a violation of this classified material or archival material. You know, Hillary Clinton, who's a friend of mine who I like and who I supported for many years, I've had dinner with her many times, is wearing a terrible hat these days, and um, she's selling them or somebody's selling them. And, and it says, but what about the emails? Well, you know, what about the emails? That's a very important point to make in America. If she wasn't searched and if she wasn't prosecuted for what she did with the emails, that's a very important argument. It's called the shoe on the other foot argument. If the same rules are not applied to Republicans and Democrats, there's something wrong with the system. So, Hillary, if you're listening to the show, take off that hat. (laughs) It doesn't make you look good. It doesn't make you seem good. The, the, the argument that, but what about the emails, is a very good argument. Now, I'm going to continue to make it. In that, in that uh, Clinton email case, since you bring that up, yeah. there was a lot sure. made that some, and I promise I'll let you go and get some sleep. I know you've had a long day. But <laughs> um, in that Clinton email case, there was a lot made that some of the emails contained classified information that was not secure at her home in Chappaqua. Uh, isn't that uh, potentially similar to Trump taking classified material to Mar-a-Lago? There's a big difference, and that is Trump, as the president, had the ability to declassify. Clinton, as the secretary of state, did not have the ability to declassify by herself. So in many respects, it was worse. Now, I don't know all the facts in the Hillary Clinton case, but according to at least what I've read, there was destruction of hard drives. There was 
uh, destruction of emails, emails disappeared. Um, you know, that could be worse. Um, but it's certainly not any it's no it's no different the other way. I mean, it's no better. Uh, and, and I think the precedent of both Sandy Berger, uh, who also was a friend of mine, who I like very much, who was a national security advisor to Clinton, you know, he was caught putting classified materials in his sock and in his underwear. And there was no search. Uh, in the end, he had to pay a fine. And, uh, and you know, he was discredited. And Hillary Clinton was discredited. But nothing like this. And, yeah, you know, whataboutism is correct. Sure. And, but the emails, that's a correct way of looking at it. And nobody should apologize for saying, well, what about Clinton? What about Berger? What about those emails? That's a perfectly legitimate question to ask in a democracy that promises equal protection of the law. In the case of Sandy Berger, who was convicted of taking these classified documents from the National Archives, um, he was duplicitous. He tried to sneak the documents into his pants. Trump was very open about this. He carried them right out in the middle of the day, no stuffing documents in his pants or anything like that. Will that make a difference in a case like this, the duplicity versus the openness? It will. I think it will. I think the openness negates the required intent. You need uh, an intent. Uh, Usually it has to be a corrupt intent. Um, But, you know, a lot of presidents have taken classified material with them to write their memoirs. Other officials have done that. I represented somebody who was a former CIA agent who took classified material and wrote a book about it and went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. So, you know, this is something that's happened. And in America, you don't make new laws for a president or a former president that's running for reelection. You apply old laws to them. You don't make up new laws. You can't just have a Trump law that wasn't applied to Berger and to Clinton. Uh, my final question, sir, has nothing to do with the law, but uh, your schedule. And I'm not trying to sound flattering or patronizing, <laughs> but I, I'm actually in awe of your daily schedule. You're a couple of years older than me, and yet you do, it looks to me, like a dozen TV shows a day, maybe three dozen radio shows a day. You're literally writing books at a, a faster pace than I can read them. Uh, you're, um, I'm sure, doing some legal Legal work here and there. I'm imagining you're at least getting a couple hours of sleep. How do you pack all of this into a given day? You got to give me some advice. I feel like I can never get this stuff done. (laughs) Well, I'll be 84 years old in two weeks, and I've had some health issues. I I had a pacemaker, and uh, I've had uh, gallbladder removed. So this was not a good year for me health wise. Mm. But um, I, I try to walk five miles a day, and I try to eat healthy. And uh, I write every day. I'm almost finished with my 51st book. And uh, I'm already thinking about my 52nd book. I love writing. I've been doing it all my life. And, you know, 50 books in approximately 50 years. Um, I'm proud of that. But I'm proudest of this new book, uh, The Price of Principle, because it is so much about the soul of America and where we're going. And if we don't get back, to living principled lives, to basing ourselves on principle, not on partisanship, we will fail Lincoln's test. Lincoln's test is a house divided against itself cannot stand. And right now, we are a house divided, and the events of yesterday divided us even more. 
Uh, Professor Dershowitz, it is always a treat to talk with you. I appreciate the time this morning, and I'll look forward to our next Pomoni Gardens outing with Arthur. Oh, I would love to do that. Arthur Ardella is one of the greatest lawyers in the United States and a great talk show host. And uh, the fact that you and I are both his friends is a credit to both of us. Absolutely.